The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. As we celebrate Columbus Day weekend when Cristoforo Colombo, Christopher Columbus discovered the New World October 12, 1492. This should actually be known as Cigar Dave Alpha Weekend. When I discovered, or should I say rediscovered, the masculinity that is inherent in all alphas, even though the feminists are trying to take away our masculinity, fear not. They will get nowhere near our testosterone, our raging testosterone. We will get to some items that will flabbergast you. It never, ain't, it never ends. Feminism 2.0. But today we're celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest. We have moved Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A to Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg where we will be joined a bit later in the show by Jeff Keller, the owner and master brewer, Connor Meyer, sampling some of their great beers and providing you with Homebrew 101, the science of brewing, everything you need to know about making your own beer. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. America's Alpha, correction, i got to get over talking about America's Alpha Male. I'm the global general and the global alpha male. I'm far bigger than just the United States. The global alpha and global general, front and center, as well as uh, the man who believes that we must make America great. I'm not the only one that believes that, just about a month away to the election. And I, I will say this before we get into some of the topics I planned on discussing. If you caught the debate, the vice presidential debate earlier this week, I'm not going to tell you about all the 72 interruptions that Tim Kaine uh, conducted during the debate. Nonstop interruptions, and hopefully Donald Trump will learn from that, that it puts off the audience, it's rude, let someone finish, and then make your point. But there was one line that he had, one phrase actually, when he was asked about how he would be a good vice president. Each candidate was asked how he would be a good vice president to the president, potential president, to their nominee. And Kane had something very interesting. He promised that he would be Hillary Clinton's right-hand, no, not man, right-hand person. I don't know if you caught that. It was very soft. He went to say, I'll be her right-hand person. He stopped midway through saying, couldn't get the word man. Now, all of a sudden, if you're someone's right-hand man, it's politically incorrect. At least it is to the taxocrats. So I thought that was very interesting, and I made comment to that as soon as I saw it. I said, give me a break. He now has to be so gender neutral that he can't say I'm going to be his right, her right-hand man. Just like if you had a female vice president, she would say, I'm going to be the president's right-hand woman. 
to say right-hand person is, is ridiculous. The phrase is, I'll be their right-hand man. Even if you're a woman, it's okay to say. It's just a generic term. But I thought that was very interesting. And when I look at Tim Kaine, I just think wussified beta. And I have some questions, some certain questions that I'll just leave out. Let's just say he doesn't appear to me as the most masculine of vice presidential candidates. And I will just leave it at that. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal headline, blowing bureaucratic smoke. An FDA rule threatens to stop donations of cigars to U.S. troops. We have discussed ad infinitum about the FUDA on this show. I've been talking about the FUDA for years. They've had it out for the cigar industry. They have it out for Americans that want to make adult decisions. They've interjected their bureaucratic grip in the world of cigars. And one of the areas is samples. We've, we've explained to you on the show about what the FUDA regulation, their deeming regulation to deem cigars in the same regulatory act as the Cigarette Act from nine years ago. We've explained the various nuances, but one of the little subtle items is that cigar manufacturers and distributors are prohibited from handing out free samples. A manufacturer, there's even talk whether a manufacturer can give a free sample to one of their salespeople. Now think about that for a second. A sales representative who works for a particular cigar company who goes out, has to talk about the cigar, has to sell the cigar to various tobacconists, is the point man or woman, point person. Okay, wait, I'll be politically correct like Tim Kaine. Oh, I'm going to be a point person. No, you're the point man or point, point, point woman for a specific cigar manufacturer. There's questions about whether you can even get a free sample if you are a sales rep, that the manufacturer can give you a free sample to smoke. And how ridiculous is it that a sales rep for a cigar manufacturer cannot give a free sample of a new cigar or an existing cigar to the owner of a cigar store. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And not only does it affect cigar, manu- uh, uh, cigar sales reps or cigar insiders, it also affects the ability of cigar manufacturers and cigar retailers, cigar catalog companies, distributors, to provide free cigars for our troops that, are, that are, are serving overseas. Here's the article. I want to read this, uh, some excerpts to you. It's very important. Because the wall, when this makes the Wall Street Journal, you know that this now is becoming a very controversial and newsworthy item. And again, I talked about this ages ago on this show. You might think GIs in Iraq and Afghanistan have enough to worry about with Islamic State and the Taliban. But it turns out they've also got a problem called the Food and Drug Administration, or as I like to refer to, the FUDA. In August, a new FDA rule went into effect that forbids tobacco makers and distributors from handing out free samples. Some companies that have been donating cigars to service members for decades have now stopped for fear that this is now illegal. The FDA nuttiness has has attracted the attention of Representative Kathy Castor. We just refer to her lovingly as Fidel. A Democrat who represents Florida's 14th district, which includes Cigar City or Tampa. She has introduced a bill to reinstate the tradition of donating cigars to our military members to provide them with a taste of home while being deployed. Her press release notes that cigars are the second most requested item from troops overseas. 
California Republican Duncan Hunter, who did combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan before becoming a Marine reservist, says legislation shouldn't be needed. In a September 8th letter, he asked FDA, FDA Commissioner Robert Califf to clarify if the new rule really does ban cigar donations to soldiers. He's still waiting to hear back. Apparently, the interim head of the FDA, the FDA Commissioner Robert Califf, this is too, too difficult of an item. One question. Can, uh, can cigar manufacturers, per this FDA regulation, this law, are they allowed to hand out complimentary cigars to our troops? Apparently now, here it is, we're at, what, October 8th, a month later, and yet he doesn't have an answer? It's called Washington bureaucracy. All he has to do is probably one line. We've reviewed the law, either yes or no. It's pretty simple. The article goes on, last paragraph, our guess is that cigars for service members is in question because it's a proxy for the political war on tobacco. But the first casualty is common sense. The FDA's bureaucrats are happy to have U.S. soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines dodge bullets overseas. But they're horrified they might relax by lighting up a stogie. Maybe we should send Mr. Califf and his colleagues who wrote this rule to Helmand Province for a week of military education. Now, do you really think that an FDA bureaucrat, the FDA Commissioner Robert Califf, is going to take his fellow FDA bureaucrats out of their friendly, cozy, comfortable, bureaucratic hideaway in Washington? Do you think they're going to leave the cushy and comfortable chair behind the safety of their government-issued desks surrounded by pencil and clipboards so they can basically interfere in the lives of Americans who want to enjoy a cigar, interfere in the businesses, and cause businesses, the cigar manufacturers, to spend hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours on complying with this FDA BS? Oh, no. The FDA bureaucrats, they're not leaving their cushy and comfortable desks and their chairs They're not going to go to Helmand Province. They're not going to go to Iraq. They're not going to go to Afghanistan. They're not in the least going to go see a cigar manufacturer and justify what they have done to destroying an industry, which is exactly what they are doing. Another article in The Federalist this week. Headline, Cigars Won't Hurt You, But the FDA's New Cigar Tax Will. It's hard to imagine anything that threatens the worldview of the New Age more than cigar smoking. Cigars are symbols of everything the culture warriors deem despicable. Masculinity, capitalism, affluence, freedom. I suspect it's also part of the reason the Obama FUDA has recently decided to drop what the industry is calling a nuclear bomb of new regulations that will affect every cigar retailer and individual smokers. And he goes on to talk about big tobacco hits little cigars with user fees. What are user fees? I've talked about this before. That is nothing more than a guise for cigar taxes, user fees. $574 million per year. Now, let me just explain something here. To fund the FUDA's Center for Tobacco Products, the cigar industry will now pick up 9% of the fees and taxes that were previously shouldered mainly by cigarette makers because the cigarette makers were the one that were regulated by the FDA. What does 9% of the fees and taxes over the next 10 years translate to? Half a billion dollars, 574 million. 
Now, does the cigar industry need to be regulated? No. Does the cigar industry pose a health risk to people that enjoy cigars? No, because we know the average cigar connoisseur smokes maybe one to two cigars per week. However, now you as cigar connoisseurs are going to have to pick up $574 million of user fees beginning next year, and it doesn't end. Oh, and by the way, one of the other things this article mentions that now cigar manufacturers will have to submit their new products to undergo extensive FDA testing and certification before coming to market. How long is that going to take? At least three years. It goes on and on and on. And oh, when I come back, I'll tell you about another business the FDA wants to crack down on that I know you and I have both been losing sleep over. It never ends. The bureaucracy has to end enough is enough. We are sick and tired of getting regulated. And this uh, author from the Federalist, David Bufkin, hits it right on the head. What do the bureaucrats, the enemies of pleasure, the taxocrats, what do they deem despicable? Masculinity, capitalism, affluence, and freedom. Shameful and pathetic. When we come back, I'll tell you what the FUDA is going after next. You will not believe it. We will continue celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest today. We're at Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg. In just a little bit, we'll conduct the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. We'll sample some of their beers. And next hour, it is Home Brewing 101, the science of beer, everything you need to know about crafting your own brewski as we continue. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. In this difficult and challenging time when the government is trying to outlaw premium cigars and take away the art form of enjoying a beautiful cigar, we decided to introduce our brand called Prohibition. This cigar is going to be the bootlegger's dream. A gorgeous cigar made in Esteli, Nicaragua, triple capped using a broadleaf wrapper and a Mexican wrapper from the San Andreas Valley. It's got Nicaraguan tobaccos for the Nicaraguan valleys of Esteli and Jalapa. It's rich, it's complex, it's got some spice, some white pepper, and a ton of sweetness. Full of flavor, this cigar is one that you're going to want to enjoy, and you're going to bootleg. And that's why it's called Prohibition. Enjoy it. I promise you're going to love it. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. 
Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Okay, people, we've just been awarded the Brickhouse Ad Account. Now, this cigar was named Best Bargain Cigar of 2009 by Cigar Aficionado, got a 91 rating, plus it's the hottest cigar on the market. So, we need an award-winning slogan. He's a brick. How? What about, it's not your grandfather's cigar? Ah, it's been done. Next, how about good to the last draw? Ah, something original, people. You deserve a brick today? Who are you? Do you even work here? Excuse me, sir. Am I to understand that every Brickhouse cigar is built with all the flavor and quality of the premium cigars of yesteryear? Yesteryear? Really? That's right, Bixby. But yet costs around five bucks each. Indeed. Well, sir, people don't really need a slogan. They don't? No, sir. Then what do they need? Five bucks and a comfortable chair. Five bucks and a comfortable chair. Genius! Meet the perfect cigar to share with friends. Brickhouse by J.C. Newman. Handmade in Nicaragua with a fine Havana Subido wrapper. Brickhouse starts out earthy and crisp and burns well-rounded and smooth. Nothing stands the test of a good time like a Brickhouse. For more, visit BrickhouseCigars.com. Celebrating Columbus Day, Christopher Columbus was not Spanish, contrary to what many people think. He was Italian. So we've got an Italian song, Funiculi, Funicula, a famous Neapolitan song composed in 1880 by Luigi Denza. The lyrics by Peppino Turco, written to commemorate the opening of the first funicular cable car on Mount Vesuvius. We'll take a listen here. Very well-known song. Now, I do want to mention Hurricane Matthew. I cannot uh, allow the show to continue without mentioning that. I know that many people on the eastern coast of Florida got whacked very hard uh, from Fort Lauderdale all the way up to Jacksonville into southeast Georgia, now going into South Carolina. And uh, our, our thoughts with everyone going through it, hopefully for their safety. Back in 2004, I'll never forget being in the cigar city of Tampa, we had that famous year where we went through about four or five hurricanes and massive storms. Not fun. Losing power, the wind, the damage, the destruction, just a uh, very tough time. So for those of you that have withstood it, if you're without power and we're keeping you company, maybe you're listening on your radio or you're listening on your, your smartphone, we hope that you have uh, managed to stay safe and that uh, you have withstood without any major property damage and certainly no loss of life. And I did find this interesting. The governor of Florida and every major mayor, police chief, sheriff, for the last four or five days, especially the last three days when the storm was really intensifying and they knew it was going to be a Cat 4, maybe a Cat 5 storm, implored people to evacuate. Mandatory evacuations on the coast. Told people, get out, leave, 
that it's going to be a massive storm. Governor Scott said this could take your life. Do not screw around. So what do many people do? Oh, I'm staying. They, they had interviews on, on many of the network uh, newscasts saying, oh, no, I'm staying. I'm fine. And the governor and every police uh, authority said, we will not go in the middle of the storm and rescue you. If something happens, something to your, you need rescuing, there's an emergency, we're not going to put our first responders in harm's way. So what happened on Thursday night? All the various police agencies along the East Coast, people that's decided to weather it out when it got very bad with some damage, they started calling 911 and wanted to be rescued. Too bad. You were told, and I, I saw one guy who said, eh, I've been through these before, and I got my Harley Davidson, my prized Harley. I'm not going to leave that. And I'm thinking to myself, great, you'll be dead, but your Harley will be intact, albeit damaged, but your Harley will stay around. Stupidity. You cannot legislate intelligence, and you can't legislate common sense, and you can't legislate smarts. So consequently, all these clowns that decided to withstand it, then all of a sudden when it's too late, oh, please rescue me. Too effing bad. Hate to be crude. Hate to, to, be, uh, to be very honest during this difficult time people are going through, but the smart people all evacuated. And trust me, having been through it, you evacuate. You don't screw around with that. All right, let me tell you about what the FUDA wants to crack down on next. Is it your, your, your pills? Is it, is it supplements? What is it that the FDA is looking to, to crack down on? Is it some sort of food you eat? No. Nope. Led by Senator Dianne Feinstein, taxocrat, People's Republic of California, and Senator Susan Collins, turncoat, Republican Maine, they have uh, introduced legislation that would regulate artisanal soap makers. You make soap at home, if you make small batches of soap and sell it at flea markets and different craft fairs, they're coming after you. It's called the Personal Care Product Safety Act. Make the world a safer place, they say, by scrutinize everything from sh a shampoo and hair dye to deodorant and lotion. Who are the companies that are supporting this? Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Revlon, Estee Lauder, Unilever, L'Oreal. Why? Because their market share is being eroded by these craft, artisanal, cosmetic and soap makers. Am I really concerned about somebody that wants to make soap and sell it at a flea market or at a fair or online? Please. The FUDA has nothing better to do. How about regulating the food supply that's now coming from China? Can't even regulate dog treats and ensure the safety of dog treats. Lieutenants, the National Cigar Libation Litation Ceremony comes your way next. Download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, Kindle, and iOS so you can listen to the general anytime, anywhere. The Cigar Dave mobile app is presented by Diamond Crown. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store today. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. 
To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, as part of our September 2016 Officers Club selection, which most of you should have received over the last few days, got out a little bit late because of all the FUDA regulations. We're not going to get into that now, but... Those of you that are members of my Officers Club got three great cigars from Alec Bradley. The Black Market, the Sanctum that I enjoyed last week on the show during Litation. And this week I'm going to enjoy the Alec Bradley Nica Puro, a lush, exotic cigar comprised entirely of hearty Nicaraguan wrapper, filler, and binder leaves. Launched just over a year ago at the Cigar Retailers Convention, the Nica Puro Rosado is a beautiful-looking cigar. Just a nice reddish Rosado Colorado wrapper, a nice double binder, two binders, two Nicaraguan binders, and filler from three different Nicaraguan growing regions, Jalapa, Esteli, and Condega. Each farm produces a slightly different taste and aroma, but whether you are a novice, you are a, a experienced connoisseur, you will love this cigar. I've pulled out the Toro, my favorite size, six inches in length with a 52 ring gauge, which is 52 64ths of an inch in diameter. $7.5 suggested retail price comes in six different sizes. A magnificent stick made in Nicaragua. You cannot go wrong with this stick. It is part of the September Officers Club selection, and I will enjoy that today because they will pair beautifully with the beers that we will enjoy today on Cigar Oktoberfest. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, I got the Cigar Dave signature lock and load from the R&D laboratories. We call this the grenade because it's got a huge tank. Almost looks like a grenade. Big, Actually, you could weld steel with this thing. This will work beautifully on my Nicapuro Rosado. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. I will gently toast the foot of this cigar. And I should also welcome in to our show microphones from Avid Brew Company in St. Petersburg. Proprietor and owner Jeff Keller, brewmaster, hey, head brewmaster, Connor Meyer. Gentlemen, great to have you on. And in the next hour, as I toast the foot of this cigar, as you can hear... 
We are going to be talking Home Brewing 101, the science of brewing, everything you need to know about brewing. And as I look here, as I toast the foot of this magnificent cigar, by the way, I know you both are cigar enthusiasts, oh, so yeah. you have Nicopuro from, from Alec Bradley's in front of you. I've got plenty of butane in my tank, feel free. As I toast and puff on the cigar, or rotate. That's nice. Can't beat the aroma. Smells amazing, yes. Can't beat it. And I'll tell you what else is nice. Looking at those four gorgeous-looking brews staring me smack-dab in the face, which we will get to in a moment, as I put the finishing touches. Great aroma, great taste, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of spice, medium, medium, uh, medium plus complexity, but a beautiful cigar from Alec Bradley, the Nica Puro Rosado. Very nice cigar, highly acclaimed. You will very much enjoy this stick. Now, gentlemen... It is time for us to conduct libation maneuvers. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Now, this is beer that made that is made right here at Avid Brew Company in St. Pete. You sell home brewing equipment, you sell the raw ingredients, and you take those raw ingredients, you take the equipment that you actually sell, and surprise, surprise, you actually make beer. We make beer and we sell beer. Oh, I didn't know you sold beer, too. We do, yep. We've got a, a small little tasting room and uh, a larger one that's going to be done by the end of the year. Outstanding. So what do we have in front of me, Connor? You have a Goza, which is a, a sour style. You have here a smoked pepper Saison. Okay. Here you have a Hefeweizen. And then this actually isn't a beer. This is a kombucha with a mango flavoring in it. Actually, a kombucha? Real, actual real mango in it. Okay, well, let's start with a kombucha. Kombucha is a fermented tea. Fermented tea. Yeah, it uh, has the same uh, health benefits as uh, yogurt and stuff with, uh, with the, the with the bacteria and things that help your, your innards kind of go through. Oh, the digest. probiotics. Yes. Yes, yes we so see commercials on that. That's right. Yes. It helps offset the, uh, the beer delicious. drinking. Uh, uh, theoretically. Well, we have a lot of people True. come in that might not drink. So Perfect. we also have something for them as well. So this is made with the with the wort from the nope, beer? Nope. nope. This is all Actually uh, tea. black tea Okay. with sugar added and well, fermented. Let me say cheers. Cheers. That's good. That's got a little bit of a little kick in the back. It's got a little spice to it. Yeah, some Mm -hmm. spice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So this is not a beer. This is just something you brew here. Yes. We actually have a lot of customers that like to brew it Is there sugar in here? No. That's natural. It was fermented with a little bit of sugar, yes. But I have to tell you, naturally, that is not just the right amount of sweetness with a little bit of that spice Mm -hmm. right at the back. It's almost like uh, those candies where it's sweet, and then all of a sudden, like a minute later, you get that little kick to it. We have a beer for you for later for that one. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That could be dangerous. All right, so next up from Avid Brew Company here in St. Petersburg, we're going to enjoy a Gosa. Gosa, yes. What is Gosa? I've never heard of Gosa. It's a sour style. You actually use lactobacillus to lower the pH to give you a perception of sourness. Let's talk about lactobacillus. What is that? It's a bacteria. It's a bacteria. Yep. I want to be drinking something with a bacteria. I mean, it's the same bacteria that are in yogurt. Oh, I don't, I don't eat yogurt, but... All right. No, I'm kidding. I do eat frozen yogurt. <laughs> I eat frozen yogurt, you know, but but I'll try this. So this is a Goza, and you make this here. Yes. All right. We'll say cheers again. It has a golden color, very light looking. A lot of wheat in it. A lot of, it was a lot of almost butter. considered a champagne of beers. Um, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Not hoppy at all. No, no, no. Very little oh, hoppage. Wow. It's, it's, it's more about being a light, low alcohol beer that you can kind of just drink and enjoy throughout the day. This is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. Sour styles are really coming back. But it's not that sour. No. It's not that sour. Just a little bit of tang, no hoppiness, no bitterness. 
just very, very smooth. I mean, this thing is is beautiful. So it's this is a dangerously, Goza. dangerously drinkable. <laughs> yeah. And it's a 4.8% alcohol by mm -hmm. volume. Okay. Next up, we're going to go to the Hefeweizen. The Hefeweizen. Yep, it's a, a German wheat style. German wheat, which is similar to uh, Marzen, would you say? Or is it a little different? Uh, not quite. Okay. A, little, but it, not, it, a little less malty. Will we see this around Oktoberfest in Germany or in Bavaria? Yeah. Okay. So this is the... You said the Hefeweizen. Yes. Okay. Now, this has a lot of cloudiness to it. Very common with the style. I'm looking at this, and it's got almost... I'll tell you what this reminds me of. This almost looks like either apricot juice or peach nectar. No, no. And I say that because if you look at that, it's it's very... You can't see through it. No. It really... So tell me, why is this cloudy? The wheat proteins are a lot harder for the yeast to digest. Gotcha. So you get a lot more haze at the end of it. Gotcha. But Ace. it's very common with the style. Okay, so we'll say cheers. Mm. That's smooth. That smooth has a little bit of citrusy lemon notes on the back of the palate. Let's take another sip. That's excellent. And you brewed all these here. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'm going to stay for the second hour. <laughs> There's no question about it. All right, so, so far, I started with the kombucha mango brewed tea. Mm-hmm. Then a goza, a goza, mm -hmm. then the hefeweizen, and now a smoked pepper saison. Yep, saisons is for season. Season. That's actually what saison means in uh, from Belgium. Was it West Flemish? I think it's Belgium. Okay, um, it's commonly made uh, for really low alcohol seasonals for working on the farm. Has a very unique aroma to it, almost a sweet, fruity type of aroma. We actually we put um, a little bit of uh, hibiscus flowers into it. That's what I'm smelling. Mm -hmm. Very, very unique. Now, this is a smoked pepper saison. The color of this is like a reddish rosado, which almost is similar in color to the wrapper of my Nikapuro Rosado from mm -hmm. Alec Bradley. So very similar. So now this is 6.5% alcohol by volume. So I'll say cheers. We'll sample that. Oh, yeah. That's got some kick to it, but not a lot of hoppiness to it. No. So I've noticed all of your beers not overly hoppy, but I'm now getting a little bit of that delayed burn. smokiness of burn <laughs> on the back of the palate. Here pound. comes the heat. Here comes the heat. It's exactly right. Take another sip. We typically have an IPA mm. or pale on tap, but uh, right now we're, we've just kind of Beautiful. moving through the season right now, staying at the end of summer with those kind of light, refreshing beers. That, uh, I rate this... H2 for high heat, because there is definite high heat about 10 seconds after you swallow it, but very, very pleasant, very nice. It's easy to make those uh, over overbearing. Yes. The, the, the. Now tell me again, so none of these are overly hoppy. Is that by design? For the styles, yes. For the styles, yes. Um, we, we do typically have an IPA or a pale ale on tap or, or a really hoppy. We actually have a, a barrel right over there, as you can see, with um, black IPA into it that, that we're really looking forward to releasing. But, uh, but right now, we just don't have anything on tap. We kind of keep it rotating, keep it fresh for people. But you still need hops, even though it's not a hoppy bitter flavor. You have the hops, which add a lot of flavor. So, for example, let's talk about the goze, which was, I think that's mm -hmm. the goze right there. What type of hops would you use in this? I used Hollertau in that, which is a really light German-style hop that is that's a noble hop. So it has very little flavor, but it's, it's meant more for just kind of the balancing of the bitterness and the sweetness. Excellent. So that, that's from Germany, you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And then let's go to the, let's try the smoked pepper saison, which we just had, which is high heat. I use saws because it has kind of a spicy flavor to which it. Which is what? Uh, hops. What, where is it from? Uh, it's from... Um, That's from Germany. Germany and... Um, the U.S. also makes a, a variety, but they're, they're so similar. Some of the varieties are spreading around. Now, we'll get into hops in the next hour when we conduct our Home Brewing 101 Science of Brewing Hour. But is there a way that you can taste the different flavor characteristics of hops without having to brew beer? Is there a way? a tea. A tea? Mm-hmm. And then you just put put the hops in the Very tea? Little. Very, Very little. Very little goes a long way when it's Does a it? cup of tea, yeah. And that gives you an, an, an interesting way to actually identify the flavor mm-hmm. characteristics. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do change through fermentation, but you can still get an idea of what you're going for. Well, we've just posted pictures at CigarDave.com and social media because these four beers from Avid Brew Company in downtown St. Petersburg, the Goza, actually three beers and a tea. So we've got the Kombucha mag, uh, Mango Tea, the Goza, the Smoked Pepper Saison, and the Hefeweizen, or the Hefe. Outstanding. So, gentlemen, Jeff and Connor, you'll be joining us in the second hour. We'll continue front and center. I've got proper libations. I've got my cigar. I would say, as our good friend Lee Corso says, life is good. We'll continue right around the corner celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Dave. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigar is. It's tough, but I'm going to go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent. And smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I gotta tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree, but guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org.
100% USDA certified alpha male with zero trace of wussification. It's the General Cigar, Cigar Dave. Dave. Those beers that I just sampled from Avid Brew Company here in downtown St. Petersburg, where we are originating from today, outstanding. I need another sip of that Hefeweizen. Mm. The good news is I've got all four in front of me. So if I want the Goza, or Goza the smoked pepper saison, the Hefeweizen, or the kombucha mango tea, I am good to go. All outstanding. Let me take another sip here. Mm. Ah, my throat properly soothed with the wonderful notes and flavors from this Hefeweizen. Now, talking about masculinity. There is an effort, a concerted effort right now on college campuses. We've seen it but also amongst the feminist movement. And I call this Feminism 2.0. And what they're doing, there's a concerted effort now to what they're saying, re-educate men on their masculinity. Now, Feminism 1.0 was basically, men are the root of all evil. There's a glass ceiling. We're going to shatter it. I am woman, hear me roar. And making men feel guilty, feminizing them, has worked. Well, now... Now that men are pushing back, now that the global alpha male-in-chief has been pontificating about this absolute nonsense, saying it's okay to be an alpha, it's okay to be masculine, to be proud to be a masculine male, now they're getting nervous. They're getting worried. So Feminism 2.0 is here. Latest example, Duke University, Durham, North Carolina. They have begun offering classes in constructive male allyship, providing a space where male students are able to question and deconstruct toxic masculinities. Question and deconstruct toxic masculinities. So now, being masculine is the equivalent of being toxic. It's bad. It's, it's poisonous. Nothing could be further from the truth. What they despise are men who are masculine. It offends them. It worries them. They're insecure around masculine males. So what do they do? They come up with these cockamamie, bird-brained courses. And they get a couple, they get some of these wussified men and these beta males to show up and say, oh, yes, I, I, I want to be more in touch with my feminine side, as if they're not already in touch with their feminine side. So this Women's Center at Duke University organizing a nine-week series of seminars as part of the Duke Men's Project. If you want to have a Duke Men's Project, why don't you let me lead it? Part one will be Alphanus 101. Part two will be grilling maneuvers, killing dead meat, cooking dead meat. Part three will be great cigars. Part four, libations. Part five, chasing hot dames, scoring with hot dames. And I'll, the last two will be open to whatever we, 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 we want to discuss. Let me handle the men's project at Duke, not these feminists. This is what the men's project, the women's center at Duke, said on their website. Our purpose is twofold to foster constructive male allyship. Is that like the mothership? I'm wondering, allyship. <laughs> and to question and deconstruct toxic masculinities. We also understand how masculinity in its normative form alienates most, if not all men, and recognize the part normative masculinity plays in alienating, alienating men and reproducing violence. Wait a minute. Let, let, me, let me look at this. They understand how mascu being masculine in its normal form alienates most men? No. 
it alienates certainly men that are not of the alpha persuasion, maybe women, or correction, men who have feminist or female tendencies who are not totally masculine. But this nonsense that most men are alienated from being masculine in its normative form, I'll tell you what normal is for a masculine man. It's to be decisive. It's to have a set of nads. It's to work hard, to enjoy yourself, to be confident, to take charge, to have opinions, to not, not run down the middle of a street with double yellow lines and say, I'm going to play it right down the middle. That's not what being a masculine man is. That's not masculinity. And they go on to say they want to deconstruct toxic masculinities to reconstruct healthier, more inclusive notions of masculinity. So wait a minute. They want to deconstruct toxic masculinities to reconstruct healthier, more inclusive notions of masculinity. What they really mean is they want to deconstruct men who are masculine and reconstruct it to change men to be feminine, wussified, and beta, and make that the new normal. Well, that's not normal. It's never been the normal way since we were, men was put, man was put on this earth, since the cavemen, who have always been masculine. And the nine-week course aims to promote unlearning violence. So wait a minute. Now, because you're masculine, you're now deemed to be violent? Now, don't get me wrong. If we're in battle, whether it is sports or whether it is real war or you're defending your turf, yeah, you're going to be violent. Yes, you are going to be masculine. Yes, you are going to want to win. But that doesn't mean that men are automatically violent. The way they describe it, like, you know, man meets a woman, he wants to grab her by the hair, split her in two, and whack her against the wall. This is the perception that these feminists in Feminist Project 2.0 would like you to believe. Men, again, the root of all evil. BS. Nonsense. Load of poppycock. The... Organizers of this go on to say we want to explore, dissect, and construct an intersectional understanding of masculinity and maleness, as well as to create destabilized spaces for those with privilege. What in the freaking world does that mean? Explore, dissect, and construct an intersectional understanding of masculinity and maleness? I know what maleness and masculinity is. I don't need to explore it or dissect it. I live it. I breathe it. I'm a perfect example. For those of you that are wussified betas, just follow my lead. Just follow my lead. You'll be fine. And what's this nonsense? Create destabilized spaces for those with privilege. Ah, what they mean is those with privilege. Apparently, penal Americans. I mean, that's the, we've got vaginal Americans who are women. We've got to be politically correct, right? So now men are penal Americans. Men that are penal Americans are now privileged because basically we have an appendage they don't have. That's the only thing I can think of. What a load privilege. The Duke Women's Center goes on to say, Duke is an environment where some are rarely made uncomfortable while others are made to bear the weight of their identities on a daily basis. We aim to flip that paradigm. Now, the project has been backed by the student newspaper's editorial board. No surprise, they insisted it was not a re-education camp being administered by an oppressed group in the service of the feminiz feminization of American society. Really? Oh, yes, it is. That's all it is. They want to feminize America further than what they've already done the last 45 years. There is example of feminism 2.0. Make men to feel that they're toxic, men to feel that they're violent, and they have to 
take us from being normal masculine males to wussified males. Never going to happen. It's a load of bull. I got another story I'll save for next week about putting tampons in men's bathrooms. You won't believe it. Lieutenants, hour number two from the Abbott Brewing Company in downtown St. Petersburg continues. We'll be joined by owner Jeff Keller, master brewer Connor Meyer. We spend the entire hour home brewing 101, the science of brewing, right around the corner. Hour two is next. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the General Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. We continue with week two of Cigar Oktoberfest here on the Cigar Dave Show. We celebrate cigars, we celebrate beer, and we combine them, we pair them together. Now, you can go and purchase beer at a store. You can go purchase beer at a craft brewery. You can go to a microbrew. But what if you would like to create and make your own brew your own beer well that's exactly what we will talk about in this hour home brew 101 home brewing 101 everything you need to know about brewing your own beer it has become a huge hobby across the country it is 100 legal and we have uh we continue from avid brew company downtown st petersburg and today for the next hour, we'll be joined by Jeff Keller, the owner, Connor Meyer, their master brewer, and we will teach you to brew your own beer. We welcome you back, lieutenants, front and center, and as always, follow us along, CigarDave.com. You can follow us on social media, and we are tweeting pictures, and we've got some beautiful beers that are in front of us. Now, many times, we see, we, we've done stories, we've, we've interviewed people who are in uh, the beer industry, craft brewing, and they have said, and I've asked them, how did you get into beer? They said, well, I love drinking it, number one. And number two, I decided to get into home brewing. And that's a hobby that really has taken off, I think, in the last five to ten years. And we've seen many craft breweries that have been started by home brewers, brewing enthusiasts. So today, we will teach you everything you need to know about brewing your own beer. Maybe along the way, you'll say, Maybe I'm going to try this at least once. So we will give you everything you need to know. So first up, Connor Meyer, the or correction, Jeff Keller, the owner and proprietor of Avid Brew Company. A pleasure to be here on site. And as I look around here, I almost want to start brewing something instantly. Thanks for coming, Dave. Yeah, we, we've got, uh, we've got uh, a small little brew system here. It's fun to play with. Well, I'm looking at some of your beers here that look magnificent. We also have some raw ingredients. But the first thing I'm looking at is a very big chalkboard. And there are eight different steps on creating your own uh, beer. In fact, it's called Science of Brewing. Now, before we even talk about step one, which is water, malted grain, hops, yeast, 
adjuncts. I think the first thing is some of the equipment that you need to actually brew. So let's talk about if somebody wants to be a home brewer. Right. There's different ways. I know there's Mr. Beer, if I'm not mistaken. There's right. other things. And you sell everything here. But talk about what equipment is needed to brew your own beer. Well, you're basically going to need a big pot. Um, that's where you're going to do your mashing in. Uh, that's where you do your boiling in. Um, you're also going to need uh, some fermenters. And those come in the form of basically a five-gallon bucket or six-gallon bucket works. Uh, of course, like a food-grade plastic is best. Uh, carboys, which are like water jugs, um, those are probably more preferred. Uh, they just look better. Um, and they come in glass and also uh, PET plastic. Um, depending on uh, how many beers you want to brew is pretty much at the same time as, as how many fermenters you're going to need. It's, it's kind of like retail uh, rental space. It's, once your, your fermenters are full, then you got to get another one. Um, good problem to have, by the way. It is a good problem. Beer is a good problem when you have lots of it. Um, but you're going to need some basic, uh, you know, hydrometers. You're going to need uh, a, a bottle capper, a big spoon, um, and then patience. Uh, you cannot rush the hands of time. You cannot, no. So once you start making your beer, the whole process takes about 30 days. So uh, you'll have your official brew day, which is uh, usually three to four, maybe five hours. Um, after that, you let your beer do its thing and just ferment, um, uh, you know, it, it, at a certain temperature for a couple of weeks and then usually bottle age or bottle condition after that. You could also go into a keg, which takes another week or two. Well, the nice thing about home brewing as opposed to, well, first of all, it, home brewing is 100% legal as opposed right. to distilling your own distilled spirits, meaning vodka or whiskey, moonshine. And there's a reason, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, but first, I think probably the most important is Health and safety. Right, right. Yeah, and, and distilling, you could you could uh, really mess some people up by you know poisoning them, well, or you could blow yourself saying, up as well. You could make a right. make a bomb. Because I think there's two types of alcohol. There's what ether alcohol and ethyl, and one is deadly, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah, one is deadly and one you can drink. One right, is okay. Right, right. And the key is you want to get the one that that you can drink that's okay, but. There's, there's much more uh, regulation, and that's why you see these moonshiners. It's technically legal, but home brewing is legal. And Jeff, or correction, Connor Meyer, the, the master brewer, uh, home brewing, 100% legal, very different than distillation, as we were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, get that mic nice and close. Uh, absolutely. Even closer. Oh, absolutely. Much better. <laughs> much better. Third time is the charm. Nice. So a very big difference. And... Uh, what type of people are you seeing coming in? Is there any specific age range, or is it more men than women? You seeing? Give us an idea of who's coming in here to actually learn how to homebrew. Um, for the most part, it's twenty-five to thirty-five-year-old men and a little bit older. Um, mostly people that have found that they either want to make it cheaper or they want to make something that they can't get at the breweries, and they they want to have something seasonal for themselves so they can make for each season, for each day, for each month, or for an event or for a party. They want to make theirs. They want to have their own thing going. Well, I think there's also something very cool and I think maybe a little bit uh, romantic about saying, I'm a home brewer. I brew my own beers, where you have people at a party and you can sample some of their beers and people can actually be very proud of the offerings that they're serving. Absolutely. It is. You know, I think there's something, there's a, there's a wow factor to that. Oh, yeah. You can add your own flavors. You can do anything you want. So you can make it as strong or as light. 
dark and heavy or you know barrel aged or whatever you like. Now, one of the people that we uh, know mutually, Phil Azun, who is uh, he's known as Phil R. Blend on the Cigar Dave Show, my producer for many years, now helps us with creative services. He is a home brewer. And he, he comes in here, purchases home brewing supply, and he is he's told me, he said, I I finished very high. I didn't win the award yet. And of course I razz them razz him about it all the time. But the one thing he always tells me is that he loves to be able to experiment and try different things. And I think that's probably the one commonality with home brewers is they want to try, they want to have fun. It's a hobby. He's making some great beer, by the he way. Is. It, it, he's it, one of his IPAs yeah. are pretty they're they're off the charts. Yeah, what, so what makes a beer off the charts? How does a home brewer able to be able to brew something to say, that's off the charts? What is it? Is it the well, ingredients? Is it how they it, ferment it's it? It's all in perspective and personal taste. You know, I, I, like, uh, I like IPAs. Some people hate them. You know, I'm not a big stout guy, uh, but that's all some people will ever drink. So to make a chart, you know, that fluctuates or, I, I, you know, is relevant to someone's taste. I don't know how, how you can do that. It's, it's all personal taste. But overall, what about the beer did you enjoy? Um, probably the aroma, the, 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 the clearness, the crisp, crispness, um, the overall flavor. You know, his last IPA did, I think it was a, a mango or something like that in there, and it, it was just full of flavor. And again, there's no right or wrong. So you could have five home brewers coming up with an IPA, everyone's going to be slightly different depending on what they put in and, and, and I guess the hops they use and the other ingredients. So really, it is, it is a custom creation. Also, their equipment and their brew style and how they did it specifically. I mean, the temperatures can change everything. Temperatures of fermentation, temperatures of your mash, everything can change. And each brewer has different preferences based on what they want out of it. So you can make it drier, you can make it a little more body, you can give it more aroma by adding hops late. You can give it a little bit more bitterness by adding hops really early. So, I mean, each brewer knows what they like and know what they want. And, I mean, there's, there's great beer in every style, and every little bit is a little different, but it's wonderful in its own way. So we have learned so far that before we even get into the science of brewing and home brewing, before we go through the, diff- the eight steps, you need some key equipment. And, uh, Jeff, as you mentioned, brew kettles fermentation vessel a fermentation lock a spoon is that to sample the beer while you're while you're making it sure you got it you got to you taste it with you know, your creation it's like creating a soup i got to taste uh-huh. it i got to try it uh the hydrometer bottles an auto siphon bottle cappers bottle caps starter kit you said it's some jugs and also sanitizer which is important which we will talk about we're we're at avid brew company in downtown st petersburg florida with jeff keller the owner and master uh, brewer connor meyer we are talking home brewing 101 when we come back the science of brewing we will tell you everything you need to know to create your own brew. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. This is Rocky Patel. On a daily basis, our personal rights, freedoms, and privileges are being taken away by the government. 
by the people who don't want us to enjoy the fine things in life. Cigars. Guess what? Socialism stinks. Cigars don't. So in order to celebrate life, we decided to release the freedom. This great cigar from Nicaragua has tones of coffee, spice, pepper, with a great underlying sweetness. It's got a beautiful Ecuadorian wrapper, fillers from different parts of Nicaragua, and guess what? It's priced very fairly. So go out and celebrate the fine things in life and enjoy your freedom by lighting up a Rocky Patel freedom. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. The brand new Cigar Dave mobile app for both iPhone and Android devices is finally out. If you go right now, either to the iTunes store or the Google Play store, search for Cigar Dave and download our brand new app. It allows you to listen to the show live on your mobile device. You can listen to all of our podcasts. The last 10 podcasts are always available. Cigar Dave Daily Briefings. Additionally, it gives you direct access within the app to our Twitter page, our Facebook page. We also have the ability for you to call the show during the show right from the app, as well as send me a text message and an email. We also put in a couple of bonus items. You can get a weather uh, uh, alert as well as an alarm clock. It is the brand new Cigar Dave mobile app. You can listen to the Cigar Dave show anytime, any place, anywhere. Go right now to the iTunes Store or Google Play Store and download the brand new Cigar Dave mobile app. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm-hmm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the Silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper. Fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the diamond crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit diamondcrown.com. Celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest by teaching you how to home brew as we get into the science of brewing today on our Cigar Oktoberfest editions of the Cigar Dave Show. We're at Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Pete, where you can buy supplies, you can learn how to brew. We're with Jeff Keller, the owner, Connor Meyer, the master brewer. And gentlemen, I have to say, thank you for wearing your lederhosen and dressing up, really getting into the Oktoberfest spirit. Looks you're, good. You're welcome, Dave. You guys pulled off nicely. 
I'm telling you, I like the little uh, feather in the in the hat. You guys look like German pimps. We just got it off a pheasant <laughs> running across the street. <laughs> and actually, there's the Hofbrau House not far from where we are. That's so right, right down yes. the street. There you go. Now, uh, before we get into, we actually talked about what you need, what equipment. So I'm looking at a board here, the science of brewing. There are eight steps. First is the ingredients. Second is mashing grains. Number three is sparging. Number four is boiling. Number five is adding hops. Number six is chilling. Number seven is pitching yeast. That's not like pitching a ten, is it? Close. Close, okay. <laughs> Eight, fermentation and bottling. And there's nine that's not on there, and that is drinking and enjoying. That's right. That's the best one. That's the most important. it's not on there. That's right. We'll get into that because I'm looking at four magnificent samples here. But first, let's talk about the ingredients necessary to make beer. Everybody knows you need water, good water to right, start. Right. Can't have bad water. No, no. matter what the spirit, it's got to start with good water. It's got to start with good water. Water is the, the main ingredient in beer. So if your water tastes good, then, you know, if you're happy with the water, then that's your base of your beer. Now, we don't have great water in Florida. No. That is a scientifically no. known fact. It doesn't taste... It's not like in Kentucky where you go to the Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg and then there's limestone stream where they get no, all the water. Unfortunately not. We don't have that. So what what do you have to do because of the bad water that, that you know we get off out of the tap here? Well, kind of interesting. If you look at the history of beer from all over the world, like Germany, Belgium, and um, England, you have beer styles that are based around the water profile they have. So, I mean, like England, you have the IPAs and porters. Germany, you have the lagers and the lighter beers. And then Belgium, you just have weird, crazy, awesome, delicious beers. But you can see the, the culture of beer has grown around what kind of waters they had. And you can now adjust your water with different mineral salts like calcium and sulfates. And you can adjust your water to whatever you want, especially if you have RO water. You can use that and build up. And what is RO water? Uh, reverse osmosis. It's just a really good filter. Gotcha. basically makes water as pure as possible. I mean, I think we, we, we think of the old Coors ads where you see one of the Coors uh, family members talk, you know, he's in like a, 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 a jacket. He's out by this beautiful stream in the Rocky Mountains that the water is pure. I mean, I think that's the image that most people have. But let's face it, water is different everywhere around the world. And there's some great beers anywhere you go around the world. So that's the first thing is obviously filter the water, and then you can add different compounds to it to get that water. So water's the first thing. The next thing you need is malted grain. What type of malted grain? Barley is the most Barley. common one. Uh, you can also use wheat and rye and... Sure, because wheat beers. corn for... Corn and rice. Sugar. Well, what do you think? Well, corn, the number one ingredient in bourbon, bourbon mm -hmm. whiskeys. But when you think uh, there's also wheat whiskeys, but wheat beers we've seen. Mm -hmm. So barley is number one. Wheat is probably number two. Yes. Okay. So you have malted grains. Then hops, which give it the tanginess or bitterness. Bitterness, aromas, some of the flavors. Most of the flavors that you're really getting that are um, floral and citrusy are coming from the, from the hops. Okay. Yeast. Yeast is really interesting as well because there's so many varieties of it and from all over the world. And you can have yeast that give you fruity flavors and yeast that give you spicy flavors and yeast that are completely neutral. So you can get all sorts of different flavors from yeast that are from all over the world. All right. And then the last thing, adjuncts, which are? Uh, stuff like rye, fruits. Um, Mango? 
Mango, yeah, absolutely. Citrus? Um, all sorts of different things that you can put into the beer. Um, cinnamon. I was going to say peppers. cinnamon, yeah. pumpkin. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's just the, the uh, additionals, whatever whatever little things you want to add to it. Coriander, for example. Those aren't necessary, though. I mean, a, like a traditional German beer, as it's defined, only has grain, hops, water, and yeast. Well, and I think there's you have beer purists that say, I can't have anything. But right. I think if you take a look at the changing tastes and demographics of people who consume beer i think people want variety they want new things they there's they're not concerned with well i've got to have exactly the way they did it in bavaria in 1875 no they want something that's going to be enjoyable and taste good and i think if you take a look i was at shipyard brewing uh last week we 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 did a tour up in in portland maine and their number one beer is their pumpkin uh ale and it's a great beer, flies off the shelves, tastes incredible. So there's no right, there's no wrong, it's what you enjoy. <laughs> it's that time of the year for pumpkin beer. Exactly right. We're seeing that now. And also the Oktoberfest beers. Right, yeah. Those Marzen type of beers. They're good. All right, so the, the, now that we've got our, our ingredients, the water, the malted grain, hops, yeast, the adjunct ingredients, next comes mashing of the grains. What is mashing? So mashing is basically mixing the cracked grain with water, and what that does is with temperature you can activate the enzymes natural within the grains to consume the starches and convert them into sugars, and the sugars is what you need to make alcohol, so that's what the yeast is going to eat. Now, that, so that's the boiling process? Or is no, that that's, just, that's just, just the mashing. So just, just the mashing. So you basically mashing. take cold water, or is Actually, it hot water? Actually, it's hot water. It's about 142 to 159 degrees. Okay, hot water along with the malted grains, mm -hmm. whether it's wheat or whether it's barley. Mm -hmm. And then you just allow them to just sit. Sit for about an hour, sometimes a little longer. There's also other profiles for uh, mashing, like step mashing or decoction, where you and take some out. Now, what is step mashing? Step mashing is where you start at a lower temperature and then raise it up and then raise it up again. And that gets you different profiles because there's different enzymes that are active throughout the entire mashing process. And the enzymes converts the starch to sugar, mm -hmm. which gives you the sweetness. So I know that when I've been... Well, it gives you the food for the yeast to convert to alcohol. Food for the yeast to convert to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So you normally steep grains between 142 to 159 degrees. Mm -hmm. And the different temperatures dictate whether the beer is going to be crisp and light and dry, like a dry wine, or have a little more body like a Guinness Stout has a, that full body flavor. Higher the temperature, more more body. Absolutely. Gotcha. Lower the and temperature. one degree makes a big difference. Does it really? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. How much of a difference? It, 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 like if you try to brew the same beer twice and you're a couple degrees off, it'll be a very dramatically different beer. So people that are home brewers, that's why you need a thermometer because you Absolutely. must be a, preferably True. a digital thermometer. Mm -hmm. I would say probably. I, I actually prefer the alcohol glass thermometers. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's they're, they're accurate. All right. Now, all the... Ingredients we talked about, except the water, but malted grain, the hops, the yeast, the adjuncts, as well as the equipment to home brew, you sell here at Avid Brew Company. Mm -hmm. Right. And you'll help guide people. We teach classes, actually. You teach classes. I better get to one of these classes pronto. <laughs> They're a, a lot of fun. Time, yeah. We, we and drink I want, a lot of beer in those classes. And well, I know one thing I'm going to put in there. I want to put in, I want to try something taking some of the Jack, I've got some Jack Daniels barrel staves. Oh, yeah. and maybe finishing it off. So we'll talk about that. We're at Avid Brew Company in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, with Jeff Keller, the owner, and master brewer Connor Meyer. We have learned that the ingredients you need and how to mash grains. When we come back, we'll talk about sparging, boiling, and adding the hops. Science of Brewing, Home Brewing 101, today on Cigar Oktoberfest. 
miss any of the general show, you can catch up anytime with the Cigar Dave mobile app. Presented by Diamond Crown. Listen to the most recent show simply by opening the app with our continuous replay. Or you can download a podcast of a past show. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store to get it. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar-making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Continuing Cigar Oktoberfest here on the Cigar Dave Show, the entire month of October, combining cigars and beer. We never need a reason or an occasion to celebrate, but certainly Oktoberfest and Cigar Oktoberfest is the perfect way to do so. Perfect excuse for us to light up a fine cigar, do some beer pairings, and I'm looking at four magnificent beers here at Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg. We're talking about home brewing 101, the science of brewing. It has become an increasingly popular hobby. So this week we're talking about everything you need to know about uh, home brewing, the equipment you need, the process, and next week we'll be talking with a couple of home brewers, talking about their little secrets and what they make. So we welcome you back to Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg, with Jeff Keller, the owner, and master brewer Connor Meyer. And I should say, gentlemen, that that downtown St. Petersburg not only has experienced a renaissance in terms of restaurants and and housing and and activities. But it's really become a beer epicenter, a cool little micro center of beer activity. Totally, it is. It's it's grown over the past few years. Um, we've been here about four years. Um, you know, Green Bench kind of started uh, the whole revolution around here and, and bringing in some different unique beers and and uh, uh, you know cycles following Cage, Pinell Sailworks, St. Pete Brewing, um, hey. and, and still going. And you know what, Sergeant Steve will put up a map. Uh, at CigarDave.com, where we will put little pins on all the different breweries that are in the downtown St. Petersburg area. Actually, we're looking at one right now. It's called the Brewery Bay. I didn't realize, just looking at the entire Cigar City area, Tampa Bay area, the number of breweries, but uh, there's a ton of them in downtown St. Petersburg. So if you're considering a visit 
down, especially between the months of like December and March. Perfect time if you're a beer enthusiast. Some great places, great restaurants, and great brew pubs right here in downtown St. Petersburg. So we'll outline that. Now, one of the things that you gentlemen mentioned that brewing is all about time and temperature. And as we learned in step two, mashing of the grains, you basically steep the grains, whether it's wheat or whether it's cracked barley, in hot water between 142 degrees and 159 degrees. And you both said time and temperature, that's all brewing is about. It's crucial. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you don't go long enough, it's not going to convert all the starches. And then you're just going to have less alcoholic beer. And if you go too long, which isn't too much of a problem, but you can start extracting flavors you don't actually want. So an hour, hour and a half at the temperature you want for the body you're trying to find is really important to kind of nail down. And taking notes, being sure you're, you're repeating. So if you make the same beer again, you can either not make the bad beer again or make the good beer again. Remember those composition books we used to have back in grade school where you'd write everything down, they were kind of bound? I would say if you're going to be a home brewer, that's a good investment to make because every time you make a batch, I would assume the exact amount, the time, the temperature, so you could look back and take notes and say, you know, I like that particular beer, but let me try one degree more for maybe another few more minutes, see what that does. And then you hit that aha moment where you get exactly the formulation you're looking for. It's a for. beautiful feeling. I'm sure it is. You've had it many times. <laughs> so when you brew all your beers, everything the exact same way. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you know that's... I, I have an entire recipe notebook full of just notation throughout the whole process. And that is guarded. I noticed a very large vault as you walk in here. And that is guarded. <laughs> Nobody's getting near there. In fact, Stop there's secret. there's patrol dogs right, right around there. <laughs> secret service. All right. So time and temperature, key elements in brewing. Now, after you mash the grains and you said roughly, what, an hour? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the next step? Sparging, which sparging is basically a, a fancy word for rinsing the grains out. Rinsing you, the you, grains. You need to rinse that sugar out of the grains that you've converted the starches, you convert into sugars, and now you're trying to rinse all those sugars out into another pot or take the grains out of that pot and rinse the sugars out of the grains. So you just want to separate the grains from the sugars. So you want the sugars out. No, you want the sugars in so that you can use that to boil. Ah, so you want the you're sugars. You're trying to just remove the grain. Oh, so once the grain is done, you don't need it anymore. Nope. Now, my understanding is, is that many breweries, when I was up at Shipyard Brewing, they told me that uh, they sell the remnants, uh, the grains, to various farms so they yeah. get continuous reuse in the area. Yeah, you can make dog biscuits out of it too and um Chickens, my chickens love it. They'll go crazy after a while, and they'll, they'll gorge on them. So it's like a dry, it just becomes like when you dry it out, it's just dry. Yep. It's pretty empty of any nutrition, but it's just, just grain. Because chickens like it and dogs yeah, like that it. That or yeah. compost. Compost is another alternative. Okay. And so we actually here have a, a man named Angel we give our uh, grains to for his goats. Really? Mm-hmm. So basically there's no waste whatsoever. <laughs> Constant recycling. That's it. All right, fantastic. So sparging, you are rinsing the sugar out of the grains. You're getting rid of the grains. You're retaining the sugar and the water. Yep, which is called wort. Wort, W-O-R-T. Now, we I've actually sampled the wort, and when it's warm, mm. it tastes pretty good. It's, it's like a sweet tea. Yeah. It is like a sweet tea. The grain tea. We're, we were at uh, uh, Dineen Brewing, and, and uh, Mike Bryant said, try this. I said, boy, the smell is incredible. You could actually make a tea or a soup out of that mm -hmm. thing. It, it was, actually, I thought it was 
just drink it in and of itself. We we bottled a, a couple bottles of a, um, a black IPA and it tasted just like a stout, uh, a non-alcoholic stout because it doesn't have any alcohol in it. Um, so it's yeah, it's pretty good stuff. So the word is basically the the sugars with the water uh, after you have mashed the grains. Mm-hmm. So the sparging is rinsing of the sugar out, and then you create the wort, and that's going to be the base of your beer. Absolutely. Okay, so that's your basically that's like your stock. That's your your ingredients right there. That's the that that starts the process. So now that you've got the wort, which usually is tastes sweet, got the sugars in there, you next go to the boiling mm-hmm. component. What does boiling do? Well, boiling does a couple things. It sanitizes it. It evaporates things that you don't actually want. Such as? Just fusel things, just things you're not actually going to need. It'll just evaporate, and it also evaporates water, so it condenses it, so you have a stronger sugar solution. Got a stronger wort. Yes. Gotcha. Also, what it does is as you add hops throughout the boil, the heat and the temperature actually change the hops into more bittering. So the longer you have the hops in the boil, the more bitter they become. The less time you have the more flavor you have retained. Because as you boil it longer, you're gonna, basically going to cook away all the flavors and aromas. So you put in hops throughout the entire process to get different flavors, aromas, and bitternesses out. So that boiling is step four, and then adding the hops is step five. But let's talk about boiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one temperature for boiling. We know that, that everything boils at the only one temperature. How long do you boil for? Roughly an hour, sometimes up to three hours. Now I boiled up to eight hours at one point. Now, you talked about being a brewer. It's all about time and temperature. Mm-hmm. Well, temperature, you know, boiling, that, that's a constant. But what time? How does that change? An hour the is the, a general um, length for a boil for a, for a typical batch of beer. If you do it for eight hours, how does that differ? Well, we did that for a little bit of fun. We made a, like a 15% Grand Cru, which was a lot of fun. So we boiled it for a really long time to get the sugars really high. So you want so the longer you boil, the higher the sugars. Yes, because you're evaporating the water. You're like, evaporating like the reducing water. Reducing a sauce. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. So, but normally an hour on yep. average. Okay. So step four is the boiling. So well, re- as you boil longer, you're also caramelizing the sugars in it. You're you're making it more sweet, and you're you're making it. Uh, changing rich. the color as well. Also, yeah, more rich. And I'll tell you that is when I I've, I've sampled that. That's unbelievable. When it comes out yeah. and it's nice and warm, that's great for a sore throat, by the way. Oh, yeah. It tastes great. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's got really cool tastes. And, and uh, most people would say, you know, I'm happy right here, but there's more. So let me recap here. We start with water, malted grain, whether it's wheat, whether it is barley, hops, yeast, adjuncts. Adjuncts could be a little mango, could be pumpkin, could be cinnamon, other spices. Step two is mashing of the grains. We want to steep the grains in hot water between 142 degrees to 159 degrees. The higher the temperature, the, I think you said, the higher the temperature, the fuller that it, uh, it can become? Correct. Okay. Now, number three is sparging, which is rinsing the sugars out of the grains creates the wort. We want to get rid of the spent grain, and now we want to have that, that water and that, those sugars create the wort. We then boil the wort, which is step four, and it concentrates the sugar. It sterilizes. It uh, gets rid of anything that we don't really want in there, pulls the bitterness out. And then step five is adding the hops. Now, before we talk about adding hops, let's talk about exactly what hops are. Remember, many people say it's a term for beer flavor, beer taste. It's hoppy. It's uh, it's not very hoppy. And that really relates to the, when you say hoppy, to me, the amount of 
spiciness, basically, or bitterness, if you will. More bitterness, I think. Kind of bitterness units, I think, that would be on the palate. Is that correct? Uh, correct. Yeah. I mean, you're... You get some flavors. You get earthy flavors from the hops. You'll get um, uh, tropical flavors, uh, mostly aromas. Um, you're not going to get any alcohol from the hops. It's all aroma. So, but let's talk about the different because there's hundreds of varieties of hops. And one of the things that I just recently read is that many craft brewers are having difficulty getting hops because there's such a demand with all these new craft breweries coming in that it takes a couple of years between the time they plant the right. seed to the time they're able to grow it yep. and then let it sit. It's just like cigars. You can't just grow it and then say, great, I'm going to use it in six weeks. It's got to rest. It's got to age. It's got to ferment. So let's talk about hops, the different types of hops, where they come from, uh, tasting notes of hops. So a cool little fact about hops, and it kind of goes along with this, is that each hop variety, which there's hundreds of varieties, is actually a clone of the original type. So if you have a Cascade hop, it, every field of Cascade hop is a clone of the original. So they just take a part of the root and they regrow it. Because of that, if you get a disease that affects it specifically, it has no genetic mutations to protect itself. So you can have entire crops devastated by molds, by disease, and that can dramatically change how much are available that year. So your entire fields are gone you're not going to have those. You have to try again. And that takes three or four years to get a real good harvest from, from a hop plant. And they grow 18 feet high. So you have to, they grow the first year, and then they grow this next year, and they start producing really good the next year and the third year is when they're really mature. Now, Pacific North, Northwest, known for growing hops? Mm -hmm. There's what? basically a belt around the planet from, like, uh, I'd say, southern Maine to northern Pennsylvania that goes all the way around the planet. That's, like, the, the best place to grow them. In that Latitude? Mm-hmm. And why is that? Humidity, temperature, just everything, all the, all the different things. Like here, it's way too hot, way too rainy for, for hops to grow. It just burns them out. And where, uh, how many varieties of hops do you sell here at Avid Brew Company? We probably have about 30, maybe 40 30. types. And so you get them from all over the world? Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what are some of the countries besides the United States? Germany, Austria. New um, Zealand. Yeah. Another one that's yeah. Aust yeah, Australia's been good. Um, and they all have different notes, different flavors. Absolutely. And I'm Absolutely. noticing here they can be floral, spicy, fruity, earthy, citrusy, or piney. And there's others, too. Those are just kind of the main ones people right. are really looking for. Okay, so we're adding hops throughout the boiling process. Mm -hmm. And how often do you add them? It depends on the style. I mean, some you just do a little bit of bitterness. Some you do a little bit for just flavor. Most of the time you, you put it throughout the whole process, so you get a little bit of the bitterness so you can balance out the sweetness of the beer, and then you go down towards the aroma. Okay, so you've added the hops now, and again, those boil for about an hour on average. And when we come back, we'll continue our Home Brewing 101 course. This is the best course you can take, by the way, uh, Alpha Males. This is not like taking astronomy or psychology. This is the science of brewing, Home Brewing 101 here at CDU. That's Cigar Dave University, and we will give you a degree. When we come back, we'll talk about the process after adding hops, the chilling, the pitching of the yeast, the fermentation and bottling, and then, of course, the drinking. We'll also get into, we talked about the equipment, some uh, prices, and what you should be looking for. We will continue celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest, Science of Brewing, Beer Brewing 101, here on The Cigar Dave Show. You need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. 
By following the general, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars. Info on the show each week and see what the general is smoking. Click like at facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. In the fertile fields of the Connecticut River Valley, there is still one cigar brand who grows their own Connecticut shade wrappers, Monte Cristo. Prized for its unique silky texture, this exquisite tobacco has now been used to craft a cigar worthy of its name, the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut. Building on the legacy of the beloved Monte Cristo White series, this excellent medium to full-bodied cigar is rich, flavorful, and complex. Crafted with only the finest vintage 2008 wrapper leaves, the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut Cigar has subtle notes of spices, vanilla, and hazelnuts. Packaged in a gorgeous handcrafted box, these exceptional cigars are available now at your local tobacconist. Pick up a Monte Cristo White Vintage today and experience the spirit of the valley. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale. Home Brewing 101, the science of brewing. We're at Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg, with Jeff Keller, the owner and proprietor, and master brewer, Connor Meyer. Now, recapping here, there are eight, actually nine steps to creating beer. First is your ingredients. By the way, all these are at CigarDave.com. The second is mashing of the grains, steeping grains in hot water for an hour between 142 to 159 degrees. Sparging, rinsing the sugar out of the grains, creating the wort. Boiling for about an hour. Number five is adding the hops is where we left off. And Connor, you just gave me, and Jeff, you just gave me a, a half a glass here of hops. And these are what? Citra. Citra. This popular hop? Very. Okay. Especially among the IPAs. That was, that was one that sold out because everyone wanted it last year. I'm getting notes of pininess, fruitiness, floral, little citrus. Mm-hmm. Very incredible. Now, these come in like little pellets. Is that how they're grown or are they created into they're, pellets? They're, they're grown in these little cones, but pellets are easier to transport because an ounce of, of uh, whole leaf hops can actually go bad a lot quicker. And they, they, it's about, you know, it's a lot larger. 
So this, they, they just pulverize them and put them through an extruder that, that puts them into pellets. Gotcha. So this is really... A little really more consistent what, and even in about them all, too. This is what gives the beer a lot of flavor, a lot of the various tasting notes, whether it's real hoppy, those bitterness units, or the other taste that you would get on the palate. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we go to chilling. So the beer is boiled for just about an hour and or so. And you're adding the hops throughout. You're adding the hops. Okay. Then you go to chilling. Now, as I was saying about earlier, uh, with the hops, the when you add them changes whether you're going to get bitterness from it, aroma from it, or uh, flavor from it. So if it takes you an hour, two hours to chill it down, all those aroma hops you put in have been in hot water for long enough where they become bittering hops. So the quicker you can chill it, the more you can retain the flavors that you want. Also, the less chance for infection you have. All right, and below 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. What's the rough temperature you chill it at? I usually go for about 75. 75 degrees. Yeah, because so that's it's, if it's too high, you're going to kill the yeast. If it's too cold, it's just going to keep the yeast asleep. Yeast gotcha. are your friends. You, you, you want to make the environment for them really uh, um, happy. Well, when it comes to beer, beast is your, uh, yeast is your friend. Not in, a, not in everything, though, however. All right, so the next thing is pitching the yeast. This is where you give life to your beer. This is where it becomes... Beer. Well, yeah, that's a living thing. I mean, yeast is... This is a beautiful thing. You can make alcohol. You can make CO2. So, I mean, it's just, this is where the, the life comes to it. Comes and there are different types of yeast. There are. There's different. Different strains. strains. Yeah. Different strains from different regions, and they have different quali you know, qualities each, each one might produce. Same with water. Water and yeast are, are um, you know, related to the regions they come from. Okay. So then you pitch the yeast. And, and how this, long? This is the only time after you've cooled it down. Sanitation is a very key. Okay. You don't want infections of other bacterias, of wild yeasts. This is where you can get some really bad off flavors. So once you've chilled it, you've sanitized everything that's going to touch your beer at this point. It's still considered wart until the yeast is added. But sanitation is absolutely key. Okay. So you pitch the yeast. Then what happens? Step eight. You close it in the, ferment in the fermenter and you add an airlock or... Have a um, beer. Yeah, you, you should have been drinking the whole should time. Should have been drinking the whole time. That's <laughs> true. Okay. Um, you make it so that nothing can get into it. So there's blow-off tubes, which basically, or an airlock, which just lets the CO2 the yeast is creating come out, but nothing come in. Okay. So fermentation, how long? About a month. A month. So basically, you, you, when you pitch the yeast, you then, uh, you're putting the yeast into a, a new container? Into, or you're putting in, it into the fermenter. Into the fermenter. Gotcha. So you take the wort, the boiled wort, that has the hops, you chill it down, then you put it into the fermenter along with the yeast for 30 days. Now, difference between a lager and an ale involves the... We go back to temperature. 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 Um, lager yeast typically ferments around 55 degrees, and ale yeast typically ferment between 62 to 72 degrees. And one is a top fermenting and the other is a bottom fermenting. For the most part, yes. For the most part. Okay. Gotcha. So 30 days has now gone by. Now I'm looking here. You've got beer, ale, 62 to 72 degrees, two to three weeks. Lager, 55 to 60 degrees, two to three weeks. Now the term lager actually, lagering is aging at cold temperature. Aging so at cold temperature. A lager you'd ferment at 55, 50, 57 for two to three weeks, and then you would lager it for up to three months. And that's actually the process of lagering is about... 35 degrees and you maintain that for for two to three months and that actually clears the flavor it clears the beer out for clarity so lagers are longer ales about 30 days absolutely for so, home brewers ales are a lot yeah. easier lagers, a lot lagers easier. require um, a lot more patience too correct so 
30 days have gone by with your ale, your mm-hmm. home-brewed ale. Now what do you do? comes out of the fermenter. So you put it into another f- container that's also sterilized. Uh, you add a set amount of sugar. And then you, you put add what now? A set amount of sugar, uh, okay. depending on how much carbonation you want. So this is this point, the yeast is still alive. Okay. So you put it in another bucket, you add sugar, and then you put it into each bottle and cap it. Okay. And what that sugar does, the yeast will eat that sugar inside the bottle and creating CO2. Okay. And it'll naturally carbonate, carbonate inside of the bottle. All right. And then? You wait about two weeks, if even a week and a half. And you put it in your fridge, and you enjoy your nice, tasty beverage. Fantastic. And as we discussed in hour number one during our litation libation ceremony, we actually sampled some of your beers, which were absolutely fantastic. Now, somebody wants to buy a home brewing kit. We've learned all eight, nine steps, science of brewing, home brewing. I'm looking here, and we'll take a picture of this. We'll, actually, we did take a picture. We'll put this at CigarDave.com. That's an entire kit that you need, everything. How much? Around 200 $200 and you can become a home brewer. Mm-hmm. Right. And you also have classes here at Avid Brew Company in downtown St. Pete. 25 bucks each. Correct. Yep. Fantastic. Website. Avidbrew.com and also on Facebook, uh, Avid Brew. Perfect. Jeff Keller, Connor Meyer of Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Pete. Gentlemen, thanks for the hospitality. Thanks, thanks no for problem. the knowledge. Cigar Dave, the general saying, may your humidor always be full. May your cutter always be sharp. May your ash be extra, extra long. And may your beer always taste cool and refreshing. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. All the information you need on home brewing and the science of brewing, CigarDave.com. All these steps are listed there. Get to it. Make your own brewski. Cigar Oktoberfest continues next week. <laughs>